This morning we celebrate an empty tomb, and the greatest news about that empty tomb is, is that it is empty so your life does not have to be empty. Over the past several weeks we've been talking about this whole subject of the Son of God. We've looked at different aspects of who He is, how He lived, and how He conducted Himself. But everything that we've talked about culminates with this day and this moment. As we come together to celebrate not just a Savior who died on Good Friday, but we come together today to celebrate a risen Savior who has left a tomb empty and who has promised us that one day He's coming back for us. And so the Word of God lets us know that we celebrate today, not just in an empty ritual, but we truly celebrate today what Jesus Christ did for us 2,000 years ago so that you and I can have life and that we can have it more abundantly. So today we're going to talk about the empty tomb. Would you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, and in just a few moments we're going to be looking at this story of the resurrection. It's interesting when you begin to study in Scripture, you find that Jesus predicted His death time and again. He told the disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried. But then He said, I'm going to be resurrected. Now, in that day, all of us understand the crucifixion. We understand that it is one of the most horrible ways to die that a person can experience. And yet, we know that Jesus Christ came to this earth fully knowing that His life was going to be given, the Bible says, as a ransom so that you and I could be saved. And so He came to this earth and He came for one purpose, and that was to seek and to save those who are lost. That's us. Every one of us, the Word of God says, are lost. And yet Jesus Christ came to experience life, to experience death, so that you and I could experience life. And that's what He's come to give today. Now, up until that point, death to, the, to humanity was an experience that was final. In that moment, when Jesus began to declare to His disciples and the apostles, I'm going to die, but I'm going to resurrect, they could not wrap their minds around it. They could not understand how this one said He is going to die, because everybody that they knew up until that point, except one, a guy named Lazarus, who Jesus had done something, and they still were struggling to figure that out. As he had stood before, an empty, or before a tomb and had called out, Lazarus, come forth. And this guy who had been dead four days came forth. They really weren't sure. They thought, well, maybe he was just sick and somebody stuck him in there. Their brains could not comprehend the truth of the resurrection. And yet here he comes and he says, I am going to come forth. Three days after you put me in the grave, I'm coming forth. See, the empty tomb contradicts all of human history. Because here's what humanity knows. It's appointed unto man once to die. And everybody knows that after that death, then there is the judgment. And so as you begin to study this, what you find is, is that this empty tomb impacted that society of that day. I, I won't take time to read it this morning, but the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter, you can read it later, uh, talks about how uh, that it impacted the religious people of that day. Uh, the Word of God says that, that they had said, uh, hey, we want you to guard this tomb because this guy says he's going to come out, and uh, we don't want uh, some of his disciples to come around and steal. So they, they put uh, at the tomb, they put some soldiers there, said just in case if, if something were to happen, we want to make sure. Well, uh, as we understand, Understand the Word of God, on that third day uh, there was an explosion that took place and Jesus Christ came forth victorious. So these soldiers who had been there, these, these mighty men of battle, warriors, uh, hardened warriors, uh, they run to the priest and say, hey, we got something to share with you. 
You know that guy we put in that tomb? He's not there. I'm sure the priest went, what do you mean he's not there? Did you let the disciples come and steal him? They said, no, let me just tell you. Early this morning, the ground started shaking. The tomb started moving. The stone started rolling. And we're not sure yet. All we know is, is that when we looked in there, he was gone. And so the religious people said, well, here's what you do. Uh, We're just going to give you some money, and you just tell everybody that his disciples stole him. So religious people always have trouble with Jesus. They don't know what to do with him. Religious people don't like Jesus because Jesus is not real religious. Some of you thought he was. Some of you think that Jesus is all about religion. I want to tell you, Jesus has nothing to do with religion. Jesus has everything to do with relationship. So, so there's this whole aspect of the religious people, uh, the, the, the priests, the scribes, the Pharisees. And, and then there's, uh, th- there's the soldiers who, who said, well, you're going to give us money? Sure, we'll take the money and we'll tell people whatever you want us to hear. Now, how ludicrous that story is. Here are, who, here are men of battle who have swords and spears and all of this. And they're going around telling everybody, yeah, we were guarding that tomb. We're mighty men of battle. We have fought. Uh, and, but, you know, 11 guys showed up and they just stole him. You know, how, how crazy is that story? And, and then the people, the Word of God says uh, in the book of Matthew, it talks about, it said, and this story of Jesus' resurrection had been widely circulated among the people. And, and what you find is, is that the people, although there's one story being told and says, no, the disciples res- came and stole him, there's this other story being told about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and people start telling that from person to person to person. See, here's what I want to share with you today, and I want you to get it. What you have to understand is that the empty tomb is about more than just dressing up and looking good on Easter. Right? I mean, you know, you had to go buy something, had to put on something nice. I even broke down and wore a suit just to help everybody. It's more than going to grandma's after a while and getting together with all the family and eating everything. It's more than putting Easter eggs out and letting the little ones find them. I've never understood how bunnies and eggs went together anyway. Last time I checked, bunnies don't lay eggs, but far be it from me to interfere with our ritual. All of those things are fine. All of those things are good. I have no problem with any of them, but the empty tomb is more than that. The empty tomb, first of all, is about love. The the Word of God in the book of Luke, the 24th chapter, we'll just start there, says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. It, it, It shows in this passage, and we begin there, it shows in that passage how much love that these women had for Jesus. There was a ritual in that day that when you got ready to put a body into a grave that you did all kind of preparation with frankincense and myrrh and all these things. And and because they had had to rush Jesus' burial, these women went that morning and they were lovingly going to prepare the body of Jesus. And yet what we find is, is that when they get there with all of their goodwill and intent, when they get there, the tomb is empty. See, when when we begin to study the Scripture, what we find is not only the love of these women, but we also find the love of Jesus. The Word of God says that Jesus, although He was equal with God, took, took upon Himself of no reputation and came to this earth to live life 
See, Jesus' life lets us know that he loves us. Why would you leave the heavenly realm to come to earth unless you loved us? And as wonderful as the life of Jesus is, let me share something with you. Jesus' life is about love, but Jesus' death exhibits that love. It is in the death of Jesus Christ that we find true love. Now, let me me talk to you for just a moment. I I want you to understand something today. How many of you know that in our lives, we love up to a certain point? Three of you. Great. Let me share with the rest of you today. In your life, you have limits, right? I mean, I I love you up until. I, I love you because you've done this. But the Word of God says that Christ loved us while we were still enemies. Now, the Bible says that for a good person or for a friend, one would give up, might give up their life. You might die. But that, that the Word of God says that we were enemies. Now, I don't know about you. Let me ask this question. Let's see how honest we're going to be. How many of you have somebody who doesn't like you who's your enemy? Wow, this, this crowd's more honest than that first bunch. That first bunch acted real religious with me. Two people, you know, whatever. See, right? Now, now how many of you know that if your enemy is in trouble, you're not really going to go out of your way. Come on. Again, let's tell the truth. I mean, if somebody you love, you'll do everything you can, but somebody you hate or they hate you, I know Christians don't hate, but we intensely don't like people. (laughs) Right? I don't hate you, but I sure can't stand you. All right? And, and, and so we, we have that whole aspect that, that we love un, until a certain point. I mean, again, that, that whole Scripture thing uh, about forgiving 70 times 7. Are you kidding me? 490 times in one day I'm going to forgive you? It's not happening. I know I'm the preacher. I understand I'm the paid religious professional, but I'm going to tell you at about 25 times, we're going to throw down. <laughs> forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. I for- what is wrong with you? Are you kidding me? Really? Holy, holy, holy. Now, you, you know it's the truth. You, you know it really is. But the Word of God says that the love that Jesus had for us gives itself completely. Jesus does not need me to do anything to love me. He just loves me. He withholds nothing from me. The Bible says that he, it is his good pleasure to give gifts to his children. I, I, I can't even sometimes wrap my brain around that kind of love. And yet, that's who God is. The Bible says God is love. God is love. So the empty tomb tells me that there is a God who loves me more than I can ever understand. But the empty tomb is not just about love. Would you look into verse number 4? It says, while they were wondering, they'd gone in the tent, into the tomb, and now they see no body. This says, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. Now that will get your attention. Especially in a graveyard. Have you ever been to a graveyard at night? I mean, it's just, it's just spooky weird. They're there early in the morning. The sunlight's just coming up. 
They go into an empty tomb, and the Bible says all of a sudden there's these two beings whose clothes are glowing like lightning. I have people tell me, oh, pastor, if I could just see an angel. Are you kidding me? Do you know what the first words out of most angels' mouths are in Scripture? Fear not. Why? Because it will freak you out to see an angelic being. And so they show up. If you don't believe it will freak you out, just keep reading. In their fright, the women, I, I love how we say things in the Bible. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. What that means is, is it freaked them out and they fell down. <laughs> and said, I don't want to look at this. Please would you leave now. All right, that's what's happening at this moment. You know, we get these nice little words and, and line them up. In their fright, they are freaked. In their fright, they go to the ground. And, and the angel says, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember. And he said, remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered. And, and, and so he gives this whole aspect. He, here's the second thing uh, about the empty tomb. The empty tomb produces wonder. Th- there are aspects of Christianity that are, that are just wonder. It, you, you can't explain it. It's beyond your understanding. The word wonder means a sense of awe or a sense of amazement. I want to tell you something about this God that we serve. God is a God of wonder. If you can figure him out, I have people all the time say, well, I, you know, I want to explain to you the Godhead. And I go, really? Finite human being and you're going to ex- explain an infinite God to me. I don't think so. He is beyond our comprehension. The Bible says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are beyond our comprehension. There's no way that you and I are ever going to figure God out. In fact, let me say this to you. If you have figured your God out, he's no longer a God. The indication is, if he is God, he is beyond your comprehension. And so there is this aspect of wonder that is there that you and I have to come back to and we just say, I don't know. I don't know what this is. I don't know how this operates. All I know is that God is bigger than I will ever understand. You know what wonder does? Wonder produces worship. The reason that we can come together in the house of God and that we can worship the Lord together in singing or worship God in prayer, whatever, the reason that we can do that is because of this sense of wonder. Listen, I, I, don't, I don't walk around worshiping you. I love you. I don't worship you. Let, let me ask it this way. How many of you have ever had some heroes in your life? Some people, you just, man, they, they are... And then you met them. <laughs> you know what I mean? You got close to them. I mean, there, there are people I, I idolize, pastors, ministers. I, whoo, boy, they got, and then I, I hung out with them. I got to know them. And, and I wasn't near as impressed after I got to know them. Now, I want to tell you something about Jesus. The closer you get to him, the more you'll be impressed by him. He will never disappoint you. The Bible says he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you, he will go with you till the end of the age. That is the wonder of who he is. Look, look in verse number 8. 
He, he says there, then they remembered his words. He, he talks about the Son of Man is going to be crucified. Then they remembered his word. And when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. And then it names who they were. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, uh, Mary the mother of James, and it goes on. But, but verse 11 says that the apostles did not believe these women because their words seemed like nonsense. Here, here's, again, let me just break it down. Here's what they said. Those women are emotional. You know how women can be. That's a man. You know what I mean? She'll get over it. She's just having a moment. That's what Peter and all of them think. But there's something inside of Peter, verse 11, there's something inside of Peter that, that he says, maybe. There's something that sparked inside of him that at that moment he says, I don't know if I really believe it. I know that Jesus said he was going to do that. But in that moment, there is a spark of faith in the apostle Peter that the Bible says he runs to the tomb to see if Jesus is there. See, the empty tomb produces faith. When I know that he is no longer in the tomb, then I can live a life of faith. See, the, the, the word faith means an unquestionable belief that does not require proof or evidence. That's the step that trips up some people. They say, well, if you can prove it to me, if you can give me a mathematical formula, if you can give me a, a geometric theorem, if you can lay out a, a law of physics that shows me that Jesus really died and he really rose again. And at some point, even though you try to show the irrefutable proofs of, of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and history, there still comes those moments that you've got to take that next step, which is a step of faith, and say, I believe in something that I really can't explain you know what faith is here's, here's what faith is faith is where the promises of God and the work of God come together it's where those two things come together in a moment and it, it involves every aspect of who you are faith involves the mind that understands truth it involves the heart that rejoices in truth and it involves the will that acts upon truth. So our mind, our heart, and our will. There, there are those moments. That, have you ever had one of those moments where, where you, in your heart you were excited and it kind of overrode your mind? You understand what I'm talking about? If you've ever watched a game show, you've seen people's hearts overcharge their mind. I mean, they'll, they'll get a, you have now won a trip to, you know, Zimbabwe for whatever. And they, they go nuts. Y'all never seen that. I mean, they, how many of you remember, I know this shows, I'm getting old. How many of you remember when Bob Barker was on The Price is Right? I saw a woman one day, and he was, you know, Bob Barker was like 728 years old when he retired. <laughs> and, and I saw a woman grab him one day. She won a car. She grabbed him, and she, in a bear hug, and bounced him. <laughs> I said, Bob's going to break today. Her mind, at that moment, her heart had overcharged her mind, and it was the emotion of the moment. That, some, sometimes there's that faith, there's that moment where, where Peter says, Lord, if that's you, bid me come. He's not really thinking that one through. Because if he thought it through, he would have known, you can't walk on water. I know Jesus is, but I'm me, I know me. Jesus is Jesus. I'm the apostle Peter, and I lie, and I cuss. 
It's in the Bible. <laughs> Lord, if that's you, bid me come. Come. Okay. Did good until he started looking around, didn't he? And all of a sudden his mind said, can't walk on water. Not a good swimmer. How long is this going to last? He starts going down. That's, that's, that's how faith, faith operates in that realm where we begin to understand that the empty tomb is that whole aspect of faith. Verse 13 and 14 is a shifting of the story a little bit. It says, now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus about seven miles from Jerusalem. These are two of the disciples. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. Now, the next several verses kind of lay it out. I'm going to jump down to verse 31, if you would. Verse 31 says, Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, recognized Jesus, and he disappeared from their sight. The empty tomb brings revelation, okay? That's, that's if you're doing the fill-in. The empty tomb brings revelation. And, and revelation just means disclosing of truth of the knowledge of God. That's, that's what revelation is. Now, let me, let me set this story up for you because I, I, think we, I think, we again, we get way too religious when we read this story. Two of Jesus' disciples are walking somewhere. Jesus shows up. I mean, he just comes up to them on this journey. But he does it in such a way, I don't know what he did. He's God. He can do what he wants to but he showed up in such a way that they did not recognize him as Jesus. Now, they had walked with him for three and a half years, but at this moment, they don't recognize him. And Jesus starts saying, what are you talking about? And they say, oh, man, let me tell you about Jesus. Now, isn't, that's a little ironic to me. I think this shows, here's, here's the revelation for some of you, because some of you think God's real mad and mean and, and just he hates your guts. I think that this whole revelation of this story is that Jesus has a sense of humor. Let me show you why. Have you ever been with somebody and they're telling a story that you know better than they do? And you kind of just mess with them? Yeah, tell me some more. Because you know what really happened because you were there and they've heard it third hand. Right? And you're just waiting for them to really mess it up so that you can just pounce on them. You're much more loving than that, I can tell. But Jesus is kind of playing with them a little bit there. He's going, tell me what's happening. Oh, let me tell you about Jesus. And, and I think Jesus is kind of snickering under his breath as they start telling him, well, let me tell you about this guy. His name was Jesus. He was our rabbi, and we traveled everywhere with him. We saw great things happen, and, and on and on and on. And, and Jesus is just kind of messing with them. And, and I know that I know some of you struggle with that. I, I got it. But Jesus is just kind of, kind of toying with them. And I, and I think I can prove it. At this moment, because when they get ready, when Jesus finally says, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let them know who I am, the Bible says that he reveals himself to them and he disappears. Now, if that won't mess with your day. And I, I think from that moment on, I think these two guys outside of everybody else kind of live the Christian life with a sense of humor. That the revelation was, was that Jesus wasn't this stuffy uh, rabbi that they have made him out to be. That he really did love people and he wasn't above pulling a prank on somebody. For those of you who are struggling with that, I'm preaching the sermon, you're not. 
but I still believe I'm right. See, because here's, here's our problem, is that we look at Jesus through a religious set of eyes, and we have a tendency to make him, the, oh, he is the Messiah, he is the anointed one, he is all those things. I've preached about those over the past several weeks. But he was also a man robed in flesh, and he had a sense of humor, and I think in this moment he reveals himself as that. See, here's what Revelation does. Revelation produces change to our relationship with God. That's what it does. It produces this, this moment where all of a sudden I am now looking at Jesus in a way that I have never seen him before. And when I look at him in a way that I've never seen him before, not only does it produce a change in my relationship with him, but it also produces a change in who I am. I live life a little bit differently. I, I, I conduct myself a little bit differently. And you know what else it does is that it changes my relationship with others. How often do Christians take themselves way too seriously? How often do we feel like that we are the end all? We, have, we, have, it's, it's, we almost feel like that we were on the mountain uh, with Joshua and, we were, and Moses and, and we're up there and they hand us the Ten Commandments. And so we walk up. Let me show you what's wrong in your life. And we start laying it out to everybody. Here's, here's what I found out a long time ago. When I understand who Jesus really is and how he really lives life and how he lived life on this earth, all of a sudden I'm freer to enjoy this thing called Christianity. I'm, I'm in that moment, I'm not so wrapped up in trying to make everybody else line up to what I think they ought to line up to. See, now, religious people have trouble with that, and I'll, I'll bring this thing to a close for some of you that are nervous. <laughs> religious people have trouble with that. And Jesus was always messing with religious people. I ran into somebody the other day and said, Pastor, uh, they call me Pastor Couples, and I didn't know them. I had, don't, didn't think I'd ever seen them. They said, oh, I watch you on television all the time. I said, well, thanks. I appreciate you watching. They said, oh, I just enjoy it. They said, but I got one issue. I thought, only one? <laughs> Praise God. I'm doing good, just one. And they said, yes. And I said, well, tell me what it is. And they said, they would, they're going to love today. They said, why is it that you wear your shirt tail out? Here's why. To mess up religious people. If, if, if we have this, uh, I can't listen to that man. Well, you want me to show up like Jesus? Robe and sandals and wouldn't that be a wonderful picture next Sunday? I might just mess everybody up one day. See, Jesus is not interested in all he really doesn't care. Hey, dress up, it's he's cool with that. Dress down, he's cool. He's not. Here's, here's what Jesus is concerned about. Jesus is concerned about relationship. That's what the empty tomb is about. Let me, let me give you the last thing here. Look at verse 49. Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. The last thing that the empty tomb produces is that it produces power. The empty tomb is to lead us to receive the power of God. That's what it's about. There's this tomb that's empty, so now I can receive the power to live, 
the power to overcome sin. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The power to witness, the power to do what Jesus Christ has called me to do. And so that's what the empty tomb is about. And so we come today and we celebrate this wonderful occasion as we look at what Jesus Christ has done for us. And it's all about not all the things that sometimes we make it about. Yesterday, we, Sherry and I went into a store, and she was going to buy a little thing for a bracelet. And she said, I want something about Easter. And I thought it was ironic that the only thing that the gentleman could show us was bunny rabbits. He kept showing, well, let me show you. I, I, and I wanted to say, let me help you. Let me talk to you. I love you. But Easter is not about bunny rabbits. Easter is about an empty tomb. So how do I appropriate that truth to my life? How do I bring that truth into my life in every aspect of who I am? I want to share that with you as I close. How do you experience the empty tomb? First of all, is you have to seek the Lord. The Word of God tells us that these women on that morning ran to the tomb. They were seeking after the Lord. So I've got to seek the Lord. Secondly, I've got to turn from my sin. Nobody likes to admit this, but the Word of God says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's all of us. None of us get out of this world unscathed. Every one of us have sinned. And lastly, we've got to call upon the name of the Lord. We've got to confess with our mouth, the Bible says, and believe in our heart that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And so I want to challenge you today as, as you've come today, and I'm so thankful that you're here. But I want, to, I want to share with you in just the next two minutes, and I'd ask for everybody to just hang with us if you can. I want to share with you what Easter's all about. It's all about an empty tomb that produces a relationship between you and God. When you come to that place of saying, you know what, I've tried it my way, and that hasn't worked as well as I thought it would, then you can come to that moment of saying, God, here's my life. Here's everything I am. Would you take my life, and would you make it everything that you can? And you know what? He'll do that. He's not looking for perfect people. He's not looking for people who've got it all together. He's just looking for people who will say, you know what? I need Jesus in my life. And when you make that decision, it's in that moment that your life begins to be transformed. And you begin to turn toward God Almighty to receive everything he has for you.